please pray with me as we start. Um, Lord, we come before you today not having all the answers, wanting to hear from you, wanting to hear from your spirit, and we ask that, Lord, you would speak. That, Lord, your presence would lead us as we're sitting with our questions, and even as our minds drift, I just pray you'd bring us back, that we come here to hear, we come here to be fed, that you would feed us with your word, that we would be hungry to hear from you and to ask the questions we truly need of you know, about the help we need in our lives. What do we need to do with our families, Lord? You and you alone know what we need. So we ask for you to speak, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I, uh, if you have your Bible, please open it to Joshua 9. That's the passage that Doug read for us. Uh, thank you, Doug, for doing that and for rallying us back together from Connect Time. What a feat. Um, I really appreciate that. Um, I want to start off by just thinking what, what, what's happened in this story, if you couldn't pick up, is there is a big deception that happens, that the people of God get really tricked here. And there's a couple things that I think we can really learn from that. But one of the things that's important to hear that happens is, is this misleading advertising. You have this group of people that come, from a, come to the people of God, and they forget to ask a lot of really important questions and they're misled by how everything's packaged, how everything looks. And this is actually everyday life, I find, in a world of mass media and technology. You can be so easily misled because there's lots of misleading advertising. You can just go to the store, misleading advertising. So here's a quote about what, just a definition of what misleading advertising is. Advertising is seen as misleading if it involves false, misleading, or deceptive information that is likely to cause the average consumer to act in a way they might otherwise not. Advertising may also be considered misleading if important information that the average consumer needs to make an informed decision is left out. And that's a very big definition for, I got scammed. Whether the thing you bought at the store is not, doesn't taste the way it does, it doesn't cook the way it does. I think about how many electronic devices I've bought that didn't come with the right cord or didn't come with the right adapter or, or the fact that I sometimes like sit down to like, okay, let's, let's order pizza. Let me look at the best deal for like the best like two large pizzas or something like that. And I spend 20 minutes trying to find the right promo code and there is not the right promo code. I just need to eat it and buy the pizzas. Or the fact that, there's all these hidden things, hidden fees for all these deals and contracts you might deal with. I always think of in fast food, there's all these advertisements. You see a commercial pop up and wow, does that burger look so good? Wow, does it look so good? But it never actually looks as good or tastes as good as it looks. Uh, that's just a fact. And then years ago, I, I, you know, I'm not a huge Red Bull fan, but Red Bull, you know, this is another example of misleading advertising. They had to settle a clash action suit because a bunch of people got together and complained that it was not actually giving them wings. Have you ever heard the slogan, Red Bull gives you wings? They had to pay millions of dollars just because they committed to that slogan. Not necessarily misleading, maybe just people making a big deal of it, I'm not sure. Or one of these last examples is I love Nutella. I love Nutella. But in 2012, Nutella had to pay out a lot of money. It's a delicious chocolate hazelnut spread. It is delicious. You hear anything, just hear me say it's delicious but they actually presented it as a healthy breakfast substitute. Now, if you ask me, do I think Nutella's healthy? No, but is it delicious? It's delicious. I like Nutella. That's, well, maybe that's it. That's the key for it being healthy, that it is delicious. And there are countless other immunity-boosting, 
anti-aging, mislabeled lies out there that distract us away from what's really happening. And it sometimes, and maybe you feel this way, I felt this way this past year, it can feel exhausting to get to the truth. What does it take to actually get to the truth? We learn to ask the right questions. We learn to read the fine print. You make note of when to cancel the subscription before it goes on your card. You anticipate the unexpected. And these are wise ways of navigating the deceptions happening all around us. But the challenge is some of these deceptions are far more subtle. They're less about, oh, what are you going to spend on a monthly budget? And much more about going to the very heart of your identity as a person. What are you doing with your life? How are you relating, taking each day and day out? It's so much more subtle, and it happens not just in the big moments. It's always in the ordinary. Sometimes the most ordinary, mundane, normal days where you might just find yourself in a conversation you didn't expect. And all of a sudden, everything about who you are is maybe even threatened in this moment. These lies get come down to the point of who we are called to be and who God is helping us to become. And I, I think about this, and practically I would encourage you as we reflect on this story in Joshua 9, I want you to think about your callings. I have this language of calling in my mind. I always think about it in terms of I am called to be a follower of Jesus. I'm called to be a husband to my wife, Christy. I'm called to be a dad to my kids. I'm called to be a pastor and shepherd at this church. But I always go back to these callings and say, these are the things that matter in my life. I have had my time. I've looked at what I'm called to do. And I, each week and each day is about me being faithful to that. I'm called to these things. But I know that even tomorrow or when I go home today, I'm going to need help. Because my patience is going to run ragged. The unexpected is going to happen. And I'm going to have to deal with, okay, how do we deal with this as a family? Or how do I talk about this with a friend? All those things, the unexpected will happen. And how do I embrace wisdom in that moment? What is the help you need tomorrow in the situations you face, the questions you will ask? And I, what I would like for us to think about, I'm going to give you a key idea and unpack this as I move through the story. But the idea I want you to think about, if you're going to go back to Joshua 9 and our wonderful Gibeonites we're going to talk about this morning, I want you to hear that this story is about living wisely. And it is about loving with integrity by closely walking with God. This story is about living wisely and loving with integrity by walking closely with God every day. So the first part of this passage is going to be broken up into three chunks. I like to hold the stories in chunks. The first chunk is all about people who lack godly wisdom. Like in this moment, everything that happens, all the circumstances, it is about a lack of godly wisdom. That's how to understand it. We have these Gibeonites who are meeting them, but I need to go back in and just say a few words about where the people of God are. So as you know, we're in the series of, of Joshua where the people of God are going back into the land that God's promised to them. He's giving it to them. He's saying, in this land, possibilities of fruitfulness, life, and promise are available to you if you trust me, if you walk with me, if you go with me, if you hold on to my promises. And they've been going on this journey. The last time, and I preached last Sunday, was a really big failure on their part. They messed up really bad. They, 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 they disobeyed God, and there was a family in their community that took devoted things that they were supposed to leave behind, and it kept them from themselves. And it was a painful thing. 
It disrupted and destroyed this relationship between God and the people, and they had to deal with that. They had to confess that sin. They had to confront it and seek forgiveness. And they're coming out of that where, okay, we figured that out. That's, there's this pattern at work in the book over and over again. It's God's instruction. Will you be faithful? Do you obey? Do you disobey? How do you seek forgiveness? And then we renew our commitment to God. That's the pattern. It goes over and over again. We're at the beginning of another pattern. And right here, you get word of a few verses that Doug did not read, but you should note where we are in the story of Joshua is that the people, the word's out. The word's out. People know that Israel's coming. They know that something is happening at work and the kings are starting to get together, which we'll look at in future weeks of the people. And, the, and Israel's going to face a big amount of, of battle in front of them. But the people we're meeting today, the Gibeonites, don't just align themselves with the other kings. They try to go a different way, a much more subtler way. They ask themselves the, the question, what if we pretended we're not from Canaan? What if we came to the Israelites and we just pretended we were from somewhere else? How could we get out of the battlefield? How could we get around this? And would Israel make a treaty with us? And so it's really interesting storytelling when you read it, maybe as you connected as Doug was reading it, but it is the storytelling of an elaborate plot of deception that these Gibeonites have gone through great lengths to hide who they actually are. Reading from verse 4, it says, They resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. It talks about worn-down shoes. It goes through all these details of the fact that they found moldy bread in their camp to take with them. So they said, we've been on this journey so long, look at our moldy bread. You know, they've gone through a lot of lengths to hide who they are just to sell, to make the sell, to make the pitch. And when the Israelites find this, they, they ask obvious questions of, okay, well, who are you and where you're coming from? And if you read from verse 9, you can hear the answer to that question. Who are you and where are you coming from? They answered, your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard the reports of him, all that he did in Egypt. And I'm going to skip to verse 11. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for the journey. Go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This sounds really good, but it is all a lie. It is all a lie. And it seems that the Gibeonites here, if you're familiar with Israel, Israel's law and covenant, they have instructions given them by God going back to the first few books of the Bible. It seems like the Gibeonites have some familiarity with how Israel was supposed to function as a people if you looked in Deuteronomy 20, I won't read it for you, but it's in that chapter in Deuteronomy 20 that God gives instruction to his people about, oh, this is how you make peace. This is how you make a treaty with a people you might come in contact with. People who don't want to fight you, but actually want to submit to God and follow God. It's like, that's, not, that's how you do it. But then the verses right after that, God also says, but not for the people of Canaan. There's a, there's, there's a different thing happening in the land where God wants this land set apart for his people, that nothing will take away his people from him. No distractions, no temptations. So it seems like they know this. And the key, probably the most critical thing in this entire chapter is verse 14. It says this, The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. 
The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. So you have Joshua and all these leaders meeting these people and like, man, you guys look like you had a rough journey. Rough journey. Where are you from? And they sampled the things. I guess they tasted the moldy bread and the wine that was in the old wineskin. And then, verse 15, then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by the oath. And when you would make an oath like this, you would make it an oath before the Lord, their God. This would be the sense of like using, misusing his name if they were going to make an oath and not follow through with it. But as it makes the point of saying they did not inquire of the Lord, especially if you think about last week and everything we reflected on if you were with us and how hard and heavy that was, because that was hard and heavy, you think they would go about it a little differently. You think they would approach this a little differently. But what they find here is some really great storytellers and a big plot of deception that's very elaborate, but things are not what they seem. And I always think about this because before I came to serve Bethel, I worked as a chaplain, and I would meet a lot of people for the first time. So I would walk into hospital rooms, you know, 20, 30 a day, depending on the request, and just meet people. And all of a sudden, you're meeting someone, and you're hearing their story, which is an incredible privilege. But people, especially when they're not well, are not always the most trustworthy narrators. <laughs> meeting people out of context, out of place, you start to hear, you know, different things. They might, the way they wanted to talk about this family relationship or the way they talked about this mistake or even now they're trying to explain what happened that day and they're not really oriented right. I just knew when I would walk into a room and walk out, I couldn't just trust everything that was just told me. <laughs> because then I would go and talk with that person's nurse, or then I would talk with their care team, and I think, I heard this and this. How can I help with this? And you're like, oh, that's not true. I thought, oh, okay. Well, how do I, <laughs> how, what do I do here? You know, I mean, part of it is just expressing love through hearing and presence. It's less about the facts or the answers and much more about showing people you care about them and you love them. But it's still fascinating to think about. And it takes a lot of discernment because we are very vulnerable to deception, just like the Israelites. And I used all the examples in the beginning to highlight that. But the truth is that we often find things out of context. And if we are not ready to walk closely with God in those moments, we will be led astray. You know, part of this is less about having all the answers, but knowing who we seek the answers with. And I don't think the intention, as I think about living wisely and how do you discern things, to drive anyone crazy here. Because I, I know people in my life that I care deeply for that they might brush up against the idea of wisdom or I got to discern the right thing and they will go crazy trying to figure out the right answer in the sense of becoming indecisive, praying about every single detail down to what cereal do I eat or which sock goes on what foot. You know, like this is not the intention of this. There's a quote here I'd like to share with you that I think highlights the danger when you're pursuing wisdom. It says this, the scriptures do not require wilting in everlasting arms only leaning on them. But we must be aware of that subtle unbelief that assumes I have this under control. It's unbelief. We must be aware of that subtle unbelief that assumes I have this under control. The Israelites get caught. Joshua gets caught. The leaders of the people get caught thinking they have this under their control. They can deal with the situation. It just popped up. They didn't expect it. And I, I can think in my own life, oh, I thought I had something under control, and I did not ask the right questions. I did not look as closely at the things that were presented to me. 
And so I just, and caution us all, as we're thinking about wisdom, it's less about, you know, going over and over and over and praying about every single little detail and much more about, I know that I'm submitting my life into control of God. He is the one who's walking ahead of me. He is guiding me. He is leading me. That's important. That's the first block, a lack of godly wisdom. The second block is dealing with the consequences of it, dealing with the consequences of our mistakes, which I said that out loud when we were sound checking before, and I, could, I saw a couple of reactions like, none of us like to deal with the consequences of our mistakes. Or the things that we just, you know, even if you don't look at it as a mistake, you're like, I don't want to deal with the consequences of the things I said yes to. Most, at the bare minimum. But there's something really important happening when we take our oath. Scripture talks about this in a lot of different places. It is so important when we say yes to something, that it means something. So here, so as you know, Joshua and the people make a treaty with these lying Gibeonites, hiding who they are. And then it picks up in verse 16, and we learn the rest of the story. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. I wonder what their reaction was when that happened. And I'm going to go to verse 18. But the Israelites did not attack them, because the leaders of the assembly had, worn, had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. So they find that all of a sudden, if they just went 19 miles away, I looked it up, 19 miles away, they would find, they, they would find the people that just came to meet them from this really long, faraway place. And they were part of a city, a community of different cities in the area. And they're part of the same people that God did not want in his land. And they're stuck. The reaction from the people is just blaming the leaders. And they say, grumble, it's grumbling is the word using its quarreling language. And they're concerned for this decision because they're worried that what happened in our la- in, with Achan and his family is, is, is at stake here. Is this same thing need to happen again? Like, what, and they're concerned about God's name. What does it say about God that we would just, you know, not even have the wisdom to know the difference between these people coming to us? Because they're tricked. The leaders respond, and they say, we gave our oath. We gave our word. We took an oath for them before the Lord. We used God's name in this. And the word, you know, our words, just like there is being showed as an example for us, our words matter. What we say we will do matters. It matters when we do it. It matters when we don't do it. And I always think about this in my first year of university where I uh, wasn't really connected yet. I was uh, just trying to fit in in university. I was not near family or friends, completely new community to me. And then there was a cute girl that asked me if I would do an opera. And I, now I do like to sing. I'll say that. I've, I like some musicals. I've never had any business doing an opera. And then I was with my buddy at the time, and I thought, we could do this. We could do this. This seems worth it. So I said yes. After the first practice, my friend dropped out. I was alone with a bunch of really skilled singers. I, I can't even sight read music. I didn't know what I was doing. And having to, and thankfully, the opera was in English, because if it wasn't in English, I would be in real trouble. The Merry Wives of Windsor, that was the opera. And I, but, and I wanted to quit so bad, but I stuck with it. I did the performances. I did all of this. And, I, and in ways, I kind of cringe when I think back to it, but I also think, wow, I, there would have been a very different story that happened there if I just flaked on what I said I would do. 
that like actually following through what we're saying says it does more to our character and who God's making us to be when we do those things than anything else. But even the fact that it just is a witness that we are people who are trustworthy. If we say we'll do it, we'll do it. And Joshua 9 here, story with the Gibeonites, it shows us this. It reminds us of this. But it's also good to remember what Jesus says. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 5. Let me just, I'm going to turn my, my Bible to Matthew 5. But he talks about oaths in the same light. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from evil. There's a couple other things happening in that passage, but just hear the strong instruction that your yes matters. Your no matters. There are things you and I should say no to, but there are things you and I should say yes to. That's part of living with integrity, but also loving with integrity. You cannot be a trustworthy person of love if you don't follow through with what you say you will do. The last movement of this story in Joshua 9 is that there's hope with God's people. Maybe people don't start the journey seeing themselves as God's people. But like Rahab, there is a place. If you can find a way, you can hear the call, you can accept the invitation to be part of his community, that there is hope for you. Joshua breaks the news to the Gibeonites, and he asks a lot of questions of, why did you lie to us? Why did you lie to us? Why did you deceive? And their response, if you look at it, it says, we heard how strong your God is. We feared you. We feared what would happen if we didn't come. And no way does the story or passage condone their deception. But you can get where they're coming from. Where you start to realize, wow, like they, they actually started to respond in truth, but they acted so untruthfully. <laughs> um, it, it, it's really interesting. And, and so what the leaders decide and what Joshua decides, as I'll read in 921, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. The leaders promised, to the, and the leaders promised to them was kept. So they made the treaty, and they're following through with it. But they assign this role to these Gibeonites who came to them, and it is a role that's tough. You imagine years after year. Now, there are probably some good woodworkers in here who think, I'll work with wood. I'll cut wood, and that would be good. But I think the intention of what you see here in Joshua 9 is that this is tough work. You've been given a hard task in our community to cut the work, to carry the water. This is going to serve the whole community, but it's actually going to have a specific focus on helping the worship at the, at the altar. It's going to be focused on the worship and how to tend to the needs of the worshiping community. And I find that really interesting um, that to think if you go generations and generations and generations, these people who are complete outsiders are brought to the very inside of the community. They're brought to the very inside and to the heart of what matters most, what's supposed to express who they are more than anything else. The people who are furthest from outside, who started off with a lie, are brought in to this close place of worship. And I think the key here to see is that the Lord and his people show mercy to those who submit to their God. 
That this is about showing mercy no matter what the full story is. And that's even what wisdom is like. Wisdom is not about having the perfect answer for every scenario or being the smartest person in the room. Wisdom is about showing mercy even when it's hard. How can I be wise and merciful? Those in our minds as we follow Jesus should should be synonymous. Because people should sense that mercy is at work just as there is a need for wisdom. So now I would like to pivot a little bit and think, how does this apply to us? You look at this whole passage, this story of these people. It's very elaborate, this, all this deception taking place. But we're called to worship in spirit and in truth. We're called to worship in spirit and in truth. And I look at the church, our role as Bethel, and even the church beyond, and we are a community that's supposed to be shaped by mercy, ready to welcome people in whether they're lying to our face or not. We should probably know whether it's a lie or not. But we should be ready to welcome people in. And I I think it's because as I look at everyone here and I think about everyone at home, I know that my desire is that we do experience the hope that is in Jesus together as we worship. That they they came out of fear, but instead of fear, they found acceptance. I really do hope that they feel that, that you feel that acceptance and that hope this morning. Because that's critical, because God's grace is drawing people far out in. He wants all of us, you, and those around you to be part of his family. And it's why Jesus comes the way that he does. He comes to embody this welcoming grace and mercy as he goes to the cross and makes a way for us to find family, hope, and life. And he also embodies this this way of wisdom in life that's only possible if you walk with him. You know, there are some people that, you, that are really smart that I know in my life, but I only trust, I find myself trusting the people who have really dedicated their life to Jesus, who actually do it in the day in, day out. If you want to have better answers to harder questions, how much time do you actually spend with the Lord each day asking them? How quickly do you go to the internet, to Google, to social media, to Instagram, or how quickly do you just rush to your own answer as opposed to praying about it? This is the tension in this passage. And Jesus says, you are looking for all the answers, but just walk with me. In a very uncomplicated way, this is the way of wisdom. Walk with Jesus. Trust and not lean on your own understanding as Proverbs talks about it. The spirit of Christ is what helps us. He sends his spirit to help us to discern and navigate this world. And I think one of our greatest challenges is we're just prone to reacting as people who want to have it all figured out as quickly as possible. The sin or the challenge, the failure of Israelites in this chapter is they are really overconfident in themselves. That they're acting like they have this in control. Don't act like you have this in control. Because otherwise you won't see the lies. We need the Spirit to help us see the lies in the world. And I'm not going to spend too much time here, but just take like a few lies. Let me just utter off a few lies I was thinking about this morning that the world will throw at us in one way or the other. The lie that the key to success is confidence in yourself. Have you ever heard that the key to success is confidence in yourself? Healthy self-confidence is good. I'm not putting that down, but it is about walking with the Lord. Another lie is all success is about what you do. Only commit to the things that will benefit you. That assumes that you are at the center of the world. And while I do believe you are amazing, you aren't the center of the world. God is. And when you operate that way, thinking of only the things that will benefit you, you also completely miss out on the people around you. 
Here's the third lie. What you do does not ultimately matter. YOLO. Just do whatever you want. That will not get you very far. The truth, the truth to some of those lives, and this is why we need the Spirit to help us discern this, is that the best discernment comes, this is the first truth, the best discernment comes out of a dedicated life of faith. That's what I said about the people I trust for wisdom, people who really dedicate their life to prayer, to talking with the Lord, walking with the Lord. Another truth is that God doesn't call you and me to be successful. Never has. But he calls us to be faithful. It takes us away from looking at the circumstances of what's in front of us and say, am I actually going to be faithful to what God has for me? Am I going to be faithful to the yes I gave years ago, but not wanting to follow through? Am I faithful in my marriage? Am I faithful in my friendships, my long-time friendships, and the people that I said I would be there for, but they haven't heard from me in years? Am I faithful? The last truth is this, just to kind of balance out what I said, the YOLO, nothing ultimately matters. Everything you do does matter. It's not just because God's created you, but he's created these days. He holds all of creation and time into existence in this very moment. And these aren't lost days, nor it is a lost season. This is a time as we kind of move forward into the fall where we see, yes, I want to embrace my yes to the Lord. What you do matters. It is a witness to the people around you in your life because everyone is watching. I always like to think that, you know, I, I always operate in the sense I am doing things in the audience of one, my Lord and Savior. But I know that everything I do is a witness. Everything I do is a witness to what God is doing into me. And don't lose sight of it. It is eternally significant. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up and help us respond to this. But as I reflect on this, like, just remember what I started off saying. It's about living wisely and loving with integrity by walking closely with God together. Maybe you're wrestling with some difficult commitments, things you're not quite sure how you're going to follow through on. Or maybe you just, you're bumping up again and again and again on things that you just have the bad judgment calls on, whether it's finances, handling this subject, handling this relationship, or this commitment, and your, your sense of judgment and discernment is just off. Don't stay alone. And if you can't think of anything right now, please hear this, that your Gibeon is coming. Maybe it's 19 miles away or kilometers away. Maybe they're coming from, you know, a, a further off, or maybe they're already really close. And you're going to be asked to make some judgment calls and wisdom, and you don't need to do that alone. Do that with God. Inquire of the Lord when you don't know. Ask, seek his wisdom, but also don't do this apart from your community here the people you trust that have dedicated their life. Pray into this together. It's important to know your problem areas where you know you struggle and lack wisdom. And it's important to know that the oaths and promise you've made matter because God is witnessing, sharing his gospel through you by how you follow through on them. And he does not want you to do it apart from him. So before you rush into your week... Don't react without thinking. Don't respond only through feeling. Don't run without listening, but ask the Lord to guide you. Because I believe he is faithful to lead you. Because he loves you and has, is well invested into what will come out of your life. Because he loves you. Let's pray. Lord, none of, none of the things that we try to do about our own control um, really succeed. 
Lord, it's really the fact that when we actually lay everything before you in humility and submission, that you bear fruitfulness. And Lord, you bring about truth in our lives. So Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be people of truth, seeking your wisdom by leaning on you and not us, but also loving greatly, loving with integrity, loving with compassion. And I can already think that there's people that all of us here need to connect with and love on and support. So please give us the insight of how to do that well. How to not be satisfied with just doing our life on our own terms and doing it apart from a community. No, you're calling us to something more and it's actually harder. It's harder to do this all together and the messiness and all the different stories and history. But this is where you have us. We don't get to pick our story, Lord. You, you are actually just telling it through us. So thank you for your mercy and grace. Bring us close to you to walk alongside. Let every day be a gift. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.